Kia ora, what's up everyone? I'm Jonathan and you're tuned in to the Honest Theology Podcast where the aim here is to have open and honest theological conversations about lots of different things and with guests who know a lot more about these things than I probably do. This is season two entitled The Struggles where each episode will dive into some topics and issues that many Christians tend to struggle with. Things that the church universal has struggled with throughout our history. And hopefully we'll be able to provide some insight, some perspectives, some comfort, and some encouragement along the way. And I'm really excited about what's in store, and honestly, I can't wait. So let's go. Hey there, and welcome back to the Honest Theology Podcast. This is episode two of season two, The Struggles, in which we're looking at and discussing topics and issues that many Christians today and historically uh, struggle and wrestle with. They often divide believers And so I think it's good to have some open and and honest conversations about some of these things. Today, our topic is sex and sexuality, which could probably warrant a full seven-episode season in itself, because there's no way we'll be able to cover all the ground and all the points that we would like to in this one episode. But I'm really looking forward to where this conversation goes today with my guest, who is an Anglican minister at St. Martha's Anglican Church, a church plant in Dunedin. Uh, who just happens to be an ordained gay woman, married with children, uh, and obviously a faith in Christ Jesus. So we're going to talk about how all that fits together for her, uh, amongst other things, and the show today. So um, welcome to the show, Esther Clark Preble. Hi, Esther. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, Jonathan. It's really great to be here. So yeah, it's really great. It's to great it. to have you. I'm really looking forward to it as well. And we were just talking before we started, eh, and said it would be fun. We could actually start with a prayer. Should we do that? Hey, we should. Yeah, we should totally start with a prayer. Yeah, Go ahead. totally. You start, I'll finish. Okay, cool, <laughs> cool. So, Jesus, thank you um, for the awesome privilege of being here together today to um, to talk about to talk about God and to learn more about you. And uh, and with all these listeners who are listening to us, and please bless what we're talking about and thinking about, and keep it um, keep it safe and sacred. So we cherish the opportunity to um, to share these things um, openly and honestly, um, and with with grace in mind. And we pray your blessing upon our conversation, Akorero, this morning, and um, or whenever anyone's listening to this time of the day. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. So, um, yeah, that's our topic, sex and sexuality. Before we get into it, why don't you just uh, take a couple of minutes to introduce yourself and share a little bit of your faith journey to this point, uh, if you don't mind. Cool. Um, well, I'm Esther, and um, I am, yeah, live in Dunedin, been here quite a while, uh, more than more than twenty years on and off, and um, but I grew up actually in the UK in um, in Dorset, and um, until I was nine, and I lived um, with my parents in a sort of um, Christian um, ecumenical community, mm. sort of uh, experimental, bit hippie. Um, <laughs> Sometimes it was Anglican, sometimes it was quite ecumenical. I mean, it was both. Mm. And that was a very, very formative, even though we left to come back to New Zealand, which was Dad's home. Mum was American, Dad was New Zealand, and the 
me and my younger brother and sister were born in the UK. But even though we left when we were nine, that has been incredibly formative for me because it was um, it, it wasn't perfect by any means that that experiment that big group of people but it was very very beautiful very very um, amazing experience of of God and so one of my earliest memories really is of being in amazing midweek worship um, and you know this isn't once this is every week mm. and just that sense um, that the presence of God was so strong I was finding it completely completely overwhelming, really, in a good way. So that's like one of my earliest memories. And um, and we moved to New Zealand and I, I loved New Zealand straight away. I loved New Zealand. I We were in South Auckland. I loved being close to extended family. And I, I think I felt like a New Zealander very quickly, but I, I missed my, I missed my community. I missed my tribe a lot. Mm. It's a big, big transition for me. Mm. Mm. And then where'd you go from there? Yeah, well, my, so my dad got ordained when we got to um, New Zealand. He had actually hadn't been ordained over in the UK. He and mum had been fully involved in the ministry there. But um, and, um, and so I was a vicarage kid uh, growing up as a teenager in Manarewa. Mm. And um, I went to university in in Auckland and um, oh, I'd done an OE back to the UK for a bit, but um, went to university and um, started doing all sorts of interesting arts subjects, history and women's studies and psychology, and I loved them all. But I started doing biblical studies and I just loved it so much. I couldn't, I, I had to switch to a theology degree. Mm. So, Yeah came to Dunedin to do my post, to do master's study after a year being a youth worker. And, um, yeah, I think, think this is pretty much the law when you come to Dunedin. You, you, um, you, you, you find someone and fall in love straight away and <laughs> get married and never leave. Um, yeah. And that's what happens. Uh, yeah. So, so, yeah, and I wasn't, um, I wasn't really identifying as as gay at all before I came to Dunedin. I, I was, I was very, I was becoming more and more aware that people were talking about this spectrum of spirit of sexuality, mm. and um, and I didn't think I was a hundred percent straight, but I'd been dating guys and things. But I just fell deeply, deeply in love with a woman. Mm. And um, yeah, and so really, we have been together. This was celebrating our twenty fourth anniversary this year. Wow! Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, and we've done a whole lot of other things along the way. Qualified as social worker, worked for five years in Dunedin and Hamilton and England as a as a family social worker. Mm. But I got ordained really young, so I was ordained. At, when I was twenty six, mm. and so yeah, and, and mm. so is is um Saint Martha's? Were you part of the initial plant? Like, have you been there the whole time? Mm. Oh, mm. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I um Amanda and I and um some people we managed to gather together planted that um six years ago, and um and. 
for a whole lot of reasons. Um, there's a there's a there's a rumor that 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 cannot be squashed that it's a it's a gay church or a lesbian church. Right. Um, you're very welcome, all all you all you queer listeners out there. You're very welcome, but just fair warning: there's a lot of straight people in St Martha's, so you know, <laughs> was yeah. not it was not that was not the specifics of the call. Yeah, that's not it, the plan. Was, like that's not the that's not necessarily the ministry. Yeah, 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 that wasn't. I get like like we knew there needed to be somewhere that was a very. Um, a very safe place for for queer Christians, and queer Christians do do trust us, mm-hmm. obviously, as a, a you know openly out couple. Yeah. But um, but um, we no, it was it was a whole lot of things. You know, really wanting to try some things that would be more effective for Generation X and younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love um, playing around with the combination of um, sacramental but charismatic but radical social justice, but, you know, lots of lots of different things, um, environmentalism, liturgy. I, I just felt there was a sweet spot that I wasn't, I wasn't seeing uh exactly anywhere else and um and I and I didn't feel the call to um to work on repairing church roofs for the rest of my ministry like there's people in professional ministry spend a long time managing crumbling buildings on no budget and I actually wanted to be a church that didn't have a building and didn't have didn't have um yeah, didn't have stuff to Properties. manage like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm. Very cool. Okay, thanks for that. I'm um, just going to ask you a couple uh, random questions now. Oh, <laughs> random questions. <laughs> Help yes. our listeners get to know you on a totally different level. Um, do you play any musical instruments? And if so, what? And if not, what would you wish to play? Oh, yeah, no, no. I played um, I played flute as a kid, a teenager, haven't played it since. I tried to learn guitar. I wish I was good at guitar. My, my RSI is a bit too chancy for guitar, I have discovered. So, no, singing, lo- love singing. Mm. Cool. Mm. Very good. Uh, panda bears or polar bears? <gasps> They're both so awesome. Pandas. <laughs> cool. Uh, name a movie you've seen at least five times. Oh, five times. Um, well, I have to say, I do not rewatch movies a lot. I watch mm. new movies, but Empire Strikes Back, I would say, would okay. be would be up there. All all those uh, all the Star Wars ones, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Cool. <laughs> Thanks. And finally, um, the question I ask all my guests this season: uh, What was something you once struggled with? Uh, that you no longer do, and who or what influence sort of helped you grasp that or deal with it better? Yeah, well, um, I was thinking about this, and um, I, I think I'm going to change it to, to, to what do I, what did I used to struggle with that I don't struggle with anymore usually? Because mm-hmm, okay. <laughs> yep. I think these things that we, these deep struggles often. They they pop their head up again from time to time. Sure. So um, so I think that um, 
um, it, it would be a common experience when you're when you're a Christian and when you come out that um, you you get hit by a huge sense of um, anxiety about about your salvation, probably mm. about whether um, you know lots of people telling you you're probably going to hell, and um, and and your relationship with God. So um, it's interesting because the group I had grown up with did not talk about hell or judgment or anything, at least not to the kids. I never I never heard about it. But but neither did they give us the tools, I think, to protect us from that, like like any kind of critical thinking around the Bible or, mm. you know. Mm. And so I, I found, and I'd heard a lot of that in my teens at like evangelical youth camps and stuff, mm. and um, and then, then I... I'd already been discerning for a few years, like, because family members or friends had come out as gay and I'd become aware of the issue and I'd been studying it and praying about it and had really had a bit of a, I don't know, in my late teens, a bit of a a sense like God's okay with this, you know, Mm. and I really need to stand up for my gay, lesbian people in my extended whānau, but then when it's you, when it's like, okay, but I'm going to get together with a woman and and we're going to consider ourselves married for the rest of our life, then you, I found, and I've heard this from a lot of people, I just got, uh, I really hit by a big sense of dread. There was a while when it was very hard to go into a church and I was very churchy mm. at that time. Mm. And, um, and, and I think more more realistic, I remember thinking to myself, how can this issue be so important to me that I would gamble on my salvation? It didn't it didn't add up. Mm. But um, but you know, just a, I think it was a sense of call actually, a sense of call to to keep going in this direction that Amanda was my was my life partner, etc. And um and I yeah, but, but it's not just that, you know, that kind of caricature issue about might I go to hell, which I don't think I ever believed really in my heart as a worry. It was just caused a lot of anxiety. But it's like, is my relationship with God right? Am I stuffing up the most important relationship in my life, my relationship with God? Mm. And that mattered a lot to me, and it matters a lot to every gay Christian I've talked to, mm. actually. And um, so, yeah, and 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 I, you 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 work on it cognitively. You work out all you do your theology and work out why you think that that it's okay and God's God's cool with it, and then you sort of start to work on your emotions. But, but what I really found is that um, actually I had to work on it with God. I had to pray about it. Like it had to be, um, it had to be healed. Um, and and that's certainly what I recommend anybody to. Like if if you are a if you are a um, queer person, part of the rainbow community who is very anxious about this, or if you're a straight person who just cannot seem to get 
in a in a place that you feel okay with this issue, you really need to be praying about it. Mm. Mm. Totally, yeah, mm. that's great. Yeah, you, you sort of you sort of have already bled into like my first question, which is great. So we'll just keep talking about it. Yeah. Um, as a Christian minister and and a member of the LGBTQ plus community, how how have you come to reckon your faith and your sexuality in a contemporary Christian environment that still seems to continually demonstrate uh, a strong opposition to same sex relationships and rainbow community as a whole? Um, yeah, how do you how do you continue that? It, it, it absolutely does, and um, it does does the church does show opposition, you mm. know, and um, and it's quite a shock, especially you hear some people who've been aware that they're gay since they're little kids mm. and have always felt that sense of othering. But from the other end of the spectrum, if you weren't aware and didn't think about it and maybe had never even heard of homosexuality till you were well into your teens and hadn't ever thought about it, and then if you're, if you're like me and was sort of a quite a goody good, you know, <laughs> and had always had a huge amount of approval of people in the church, mm. man, it's a shock to switch over to the other side and suddenly be a cause of disgust to people, to be the person who couldn't be trusted to lead a youth group because you might harm the young people, mm. to be the person who kind, lovely parishioners who say they love you will cross the road to warn you that you might be going to hell yeah. and family members. And this is this is in the most liberal denomination, in the most liberal city, in the most liberal country in Christendom, you know. <laughs> it's like, it, you know, you still lose jobs and job opportunities yeah. and funding and things like that. So, yeah, it was hard. it's got a bit easier. It's got a bit easier. What's helped? Um, what's helped? What's, yeah. Well, well, what I mean is that the, the situation in the church has got a bit easier. Okay. I feel yeah. like more people, more people understand it and understand why um, it's an issue. Um, but, but um, yeah, I mean, obviously, lots and lots of. Um, I read a lot of theology. There was lots of public discussion and public forums and, and Bible studies and things going on in the Anglican Church mm-hmm. the whole first 10, 15 years of my of of my adult life. Um but but yeah, I, I think um Look, in the end, for me, we, we, we might come back to this in more detail, but there are there are a couple of theological questions that are really important. I mean, when I started, I would go through, you know, the six or seven really well-known anti-gay verses, and yeah. I think you've had one or two guests touch on this, and you'd sort of you'd sort of learn and talk to other people about the reasons they probably really don't mean have anything to say to monogamous lifetime consenting free people in gay relationships. You know, they're right. about they're about gay gang rape, they're about maybe temple prostitution. Idolatry, yeah. 
Probably Paul primarily knew of the model of homosexuality where married centurions like to have a bit of fun on the side with their mm. teenage male slaves. I mean, it's not the same thing. So, so, so I think a lot of us begin with learning that sort of historical critical context and yeah. learning that there's, you know, thousands of verses about, you know, looking after, the, the, the evil of not looking after poor people and social justice and that, and there's this disproportionate interest okay. in yeah. sexual prohibitions and stuff like that. But I think, and, and my wife Amanda got here before me and kind of told me where, where I've been needing to head in my faith development, that there comes a point where you've also got to say, how how do I read the Bible? You know, really, how do I read the Bible? Mm. How do we read the Bible as a church? And are we still trying to sort of pseudo-pretend that we think it's all infallible or all, like, really directly, accurately applicable in a literal sense, verse by verse, or, you know, or... Are we trying to understand how the whole of it witnesses to what God's done in the world, what God's done in the incarnation and in Jesus, and what Jesus was actually trying to say about God's reign of justice and peace? And then it's like we're sitting around the table with our ancestors in the faith who we have the honour of having a lot of their stuff recorded in the in the Bible mm-hmm. and we're sitting around the table and we've got our life experience and our experience of God and they've got their life experience and their experience of God but I tend to privilege their witness because because they witness these amazing historic faith events they they witness these things God did through the whole of Israel's history and then in Jesus and then in Pentecost so the Bible is incredibly sacred and formative to me, but we. But how do we use it? How do we really use it? And I think you have to develop, and everyone does develop, whether they admit it or not, a, a, a lens, a perspective, what they think is the main message that God is trying to say in the Bible and therefore how they understand a lot of the more small stuff. Yeah, that's 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 really good. Mm. Um, mm. Earlier in the in that you were talking about, you kind of sort of hinted on, um, you know, what changed for you. Like you were a youth, you were a youth worker, and then all of a sudden you come out, and now people think you just can't be trusted around children. Mm. Um, yeah, why? Why? That's got to be really hard. Uh, well, why is why is sexual deviance, deviancy, uh, for instance, so associated with? the LGBTQ plus community? Like, why is why do people jump to that, do you think? It's extraordinary. I mean, it's an extraordinary thing. And I think it's how, how we think about people who we hate and fear, mm. I think, you know. And then also you have communities, well, a whole lot of issues got confused, didn't they? A whole lot of issues got confused. Um including child sexual abuse, of which we have an epidemic in New Zealand, Mm. not particularly caused by the gay community any more than anyone else. Um, 
it's and and we haven't wanted to we've wanted that to be about a few pedophiles out there we haven't wanted it to be about i mean i've seen this as a social worker we have not wanted this to be about a, a, a whole broad scale academic um not academic endemic i was going to say you know sort of um uh, an, an epidemic of domestic violence and rape culture and sex and power abuse, which mainly happens in families and other groups all mm. over our country and all over our world. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because then we'd have to change the culture, wouldn't we? Then we'd have to get into the hard work of working out why a huge number of very ordinary people in our culture are behaving like this. Yeah. Um, I, I think you, you hit it on the head, I think. Um, the fear and, and hatred. Uh, there's something that they can scapegoat for that, and it's, you know, uh, you know pedophilia is associated with uh, homosexuality, I mean, and you can get that from the Bible. Like, that's that's what Paul's talking about, I firmly believe, is um, pedophilia, you know, masculine homosexuality in children. But, um, yeah, and so then it becomes just, what, you know, um, projected onto whole-scale communities and, um, yeah. And of course we can think about if you if you take groups of people, and I, I'm not talking about child sexual abuse here, but if you take whole groups of people and force them through an enormous amount of persecution into the shadows, if you force them to um, if it's, you know, like it was illegal for men in New Zealand and they could go to prison, um, they could lose their families, they could lose their jobs, they probably needed to have a straight marriage as a cover to keep themselves mm. safe and then they probably needed to meet people anonymously. And, and I, mind you, I don't think this was as much what was happening in the lesbian community because we often don't talk about that and that's a whole other mm. dynamic but um but you know um when i think of yeah yeah it's like like um well we could talk about promiscuity because that's a whole different issue but um it's kind of laughable it, it would be laughable if it wasn't so obscene and awful for the church society but with the church at its vanguard to have made it impossible for a lot of gay people to live in monogamous relationships and then to tell them they don't live in monogamous relationships mm. and this is this is not so much now but fairly recent right. history and still it would be now for for a lot of people mm. in our society um i mean just like what the hell you know you can't, you can't get people coming and going, you know, um, yeah, it's, um, you, you still, you still can't get married in an Anglican church with a Anglican priest if you're, um, wanting a same-sex marriage. Yeah, same for Presbyterian, yeah. 
Mm. Mm. I've been, I've got married four times to the same woman <laughs> without getting divorced in between, and I still do not have yeah. what would be canonically considered a sacramental Anglican yeah. marriage. You know, we got we got we just decided ourselves the very first year together that we wanted to be married, we wanted to be mm. life partners, and so it wasn't safe at that time to do it with family or church mm-hmm. or anything. So with two friends, we we sort of made vows to one another. Mm. And then by two years later, we'd negotiated a way to celebrate it in a church with some of our family, as long as we promised not to call it a wedding or mm. go to the media or anything like that. And then by... Um, Whenever it was, um, about 2008, we were allowed to have a civil union. We didn't want a civil union. We wanted a marriage, but we we were allowed to have a civil union, so we had that. And 2018, I guess, we got we got on our 20th anniversary, we got married in a registry office. Um, you know, so we were surfing the way. So you know, it's it's. No support from the church if you want to hold traditional married values in um, in um, as a as a gay person until very recently, perhaps. Wow. Yeah. Let's. Um. Want to we talk a little bit about some of the reasons behind some of that? I guess the history and the traditional views that have contributed to yeah. an anti-LGBTQ stance, like in the church. Um, what have you? Yeah. Yeah. How do you? How do you see that? What have you encountered, and and uh, how they affected you? Oh, I don't know. What I mean, we've got this very strong idea that there's a biblical mor- model of marriage, mm. don't we? Which is funny because there isn't really a biblical layout for marriage. Well, not one that's. <laughs> Not one that is really overlay. <laughs> yeah, you've read the Bible, eh? Some of it, read yeah, some like, highlights. There's a there's a bit of diversity of of, uh, yeah, of marriage bit. described yeah. there. But but we yeah. King David, King David, biblical mm-hmm. view of marriage. You know, how many wives? Mm-hmm. How many concubines? But even even um, even aside from that, like I think what you were just saying about you and um, your wife Amanda, like just deciding between yourselves, that you are going to commit yourselves wholeheartedly to each other. Yeah. Like, that's about as biblical, I think, as you can get. There's no, there's no, like, system of ceremony laid out in the Bible. There's no, um, we don't know what it, what constitutes, what constitutes a wedding, a marriage between people in the, in the, in, in the old days, you know? Um, I think, uh, particularly, you know, um, the way that Adam and Eve are portrayed as just life partners, like they are, that they are just together forever yeah. in the sight of God because they chose to be and because God made them to be. And then, you know, I think, um, yeah, I think that's something, there's something really beautiful and profound in that that's lost on a, on a culture that's all about a big wedding, you know, and like a legal legality of everything. Yeah. I think being, being married in the eyes of God could be completely different to being married in the eyes of the law. Mm-hmm. And and I heard somebody say that it's quite possible that the understanding at Jesus's time was, you know, at least for young unmarried people, that 
there was no such thing as sex outside marriage much in the sense that you were married once you did sleep together you were married exactly you know i mean then you've got the you know the, yeah. the next person you sleep <laughs> yeah. with is yeah. a problem but that's what marries you but, yeah but you know which is um, which will be consistent with the 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 two becoming one flesh right and then and that's yeah. the that's yeah, the typical yeah, yeah. marriage um passage you know uh, the genesis passage for marriage is like the two become one flesh meaning they have sex and they are together like uh, yes, but also people yeah. were married at teenage, you know, they're yeah. give, their daughters yeah, yeah, are yeah. given away at like 12, 13 years old. We've got to acknowledge how different it is. I, I've been resistant to this for a long time because, um, because I was pretty happy with the church understanding of marriage for a long time as long as I wanted gay people admitted mm. to that understanding. And I'd get annoyed with my some of my my friends uh, who who would say, I'm not getting married because this was some of them were men. Marriage is a patriarchal institution, right, right. you know. I I just I, I find and I was like, oh come on, is it really um that's not all it is. No. Um, maybe that's not originally what it is, but um, but having kind of opened my mind up a little bit, you, you have to acknowledge the whole history of how much, how often, and how much it's been about about ownership, about power, yeah. about um, property. You know, um, yeah, yeah, family, family liaisons, and and all that kind of thing. And so it's been a lot of different things. And um, and if we're trying to say, what does it mean today for us? What what do we think is a life giving, loving, intentional, respectful way to be together sexually? Mm. Well, you know we've got a bit of work to do because whatever our history inherited, we, 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 we come back to how many people are in relationships that are not respectful, mm. not equal, um, are violent, are scary, are badly chosen, are whatever, yeah. whatever it might be. I don't think this is very easy at this point in the church's history because we've lost We've lost so much. We've lost so much cred with our young people as having any relevance to their lives. But I, I wish we could talk to people um, about um, about how to make sure they were choosing somebody who was really, um, really worthy of them, really, mm. really kind of really compatible, really going to be a very life giving person for them. Mm. So much yeah. so. That's actually like, that's a really, um, it's a really big thing for me as well. Um, I think about like, the yeah, the church has dropped the ball on <clears throat> teaching about sex and human sexuality. <clears throat> and I think I want to come back to that a minute, but what what does it, so this here's a question for you on that what does uh what does it mean what does it mean for humans to be sexual being mm. so so if we use the methodology i was suggesting before where we think about 
start with thinking about what's most core to us in the Bible rather than what's a little bit obscure and peripheral, mm-hmm. perhaps. Uh, you know, um, so we're, we're talking about the incarnation. We're talking about a God who wanted to become human in Jesus, did become human in Jesus. And this is the this is the core of our good news, the core of our salvation. And so, yes, becoming one human being, um, but also just wanting to become part of being bodily, being being matter, being atoms and, you know, and flesh and blood and, you know, mm. being a human being. So, so there we know that we've got to be talking about um, a God who thinks bodies and physicality and stuff is good, mm. is awesome. Matters, you know, yeah. because in the Genesis story, eh, at the beginning in the creation and God just it just looks at creation and over and over, it's good, it's good, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. good, it's very mm-hmm. good, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Yeah. You know, um, we are created in the image of God uh, and as human beings made very good, part of what it means to be human is our sexuality. Um, to, to have a sexuality is part of being human. Um, now, where things kind of go uh, off in different tangents is, I think, you know, is the brokenness. I was about to say the brokenness, the the human brokenness, the way we're all very sinful and broken. Cool. So we're going to go ahead and press pause on the conversation here. This is something we're going to do for all of season two and see how it works. Each episode will be in two parts. So this is the conclusion of part one. If part two is already ready, you'll just go ahead and autoplay into the second half. And if not, well, I promise I won't keep you waiting too long for part two. Just give you a little bit of time to digest what you've heard to this point. So stay tuned, come back and join me for the second part of this conversation.